0: Hi there, my name's Andrew Kays, and I'm the pastor at Emmanuel Evangelical Lutheran Church of Paynes Point. That's in rural Oregon, Illinois. You're about to hear me preach. Now, this episode was recorded during the COVID-19 pandemic, during which time public worship has been disrupted. We don't have it every Sunday. Therefore, all sermons have been recorded ahead of time. To make them available online, the preached texts are included in the audio of this episode, but you can still find a link to them in the episode description. Unless otherwise noted, all scripture is NRSV, used under the gratis policy of the copyright holder, the National Council of Churches. first reading comes from 1 John, the fifth chapter, where John writes, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the parent loves the child. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For the love of God is this, that we obey his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God conquers the world, and this is the victory that conquers the world our faith. Who is it that conquers the world but the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not with the water only, but with the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one that testifies, for the Spirit is the truth. Here ends the reading. Our second reading comes from the Holy Gospel according to St. John, the 15th chapter. Jesus said to his disciples, "'As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete.'" And I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that the Father will give you whatever you ask him in my name. I am giving you these commands so that you may love one another. This is the gospel of our Lord. Grace and peace to you, sisters and brothers in Christ. One more time. He is risen. He's not dead, but alive. He's here with us now. He's there with you now. Now, what are you going to do with that information? You know, that's the sort of proclamation and follow-up question that, on the one hand, it seems a little bit silly to repeat so much. Why do we need more than a month of the same message? I mean, if you can hear my voice right now, odds are, even before Easter, you had already heard the gospel. You trust in God's word. You know the resurrected Christ, and you are seeking to live in a way that honors all that God has done for you. why keep repeating it but on the other hand it's the kind of proclamation and follow-up question that does in fact bear that kind of repeating because nothing compares to just how important it is no other single fact of history will affect your life quite like this one has does and will jesus christ rose from the dead just like he said he would he is risen Now, this year, we framed the follow-up question in a particular way with some various alternatives sprinkled in, right? What does it mean to be Christian? What are you going to do with this information? And we're using stories and instructions from the early church leaders to inform how we might answer that question. God's people come in various forms and traditions. People seek God across the world and all corners of the earth. But what do we bring to the table that's unique? keep working on that, today we've got another double dose of John. That's the gospel author who also sent letters, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, to the community he helped lead. So we get a unique take on what the gospel means for us Christians, what it means to be Christian. John starts by recording Jesus' teachings in the gospel, and then he'll echo it, pick up the same themes and phrases as he instructs people on how they ought to live out those teachings in his community. We may well today have the most specific example of that, at least in our lectionary. John taking a very specific mm, teaching theme from Jesus and applying it to his community. To be clear, though, from the start, Jesus is answering the same sort of question. We've zipped back to Maundy Thursday. This is his farewell discourse, which you may recall is a chapters-long pleading jesus is imploring his disciples to please just get it get your heads around what's going on here no more denial no more bargaining no more self-centered aspirations of guts glory or power just hear and understand what's going to happen next especially where they've been and what comes next jesus will die then rise then ascend and they won't see him in the same way again their time together as such is drawing to a close Moreover, the farewell discourse is how they are to live with all that information. It's Jesus helping answer that same question for them. It's how they're supposed to carry on, being Jesus' followers, doing Jesus' ministry. By extension, kicking off the church. The church in Greek, Ecclesia, is literally the ones who are called out. It's Jesus calling them out of where they are out into the world. And if you've been listening the last few weeks, you've heard some familiar beats today. But like the gospel more broadly, it bears repeating. It bears all the repeating we can muster. Jesus says to them again and again, love one another. Love means laying down your life. Love means serving. By this, the world will know who Jesus' followers are. And by this, their joy may be complete now jesus's followers are of course the disciples there and then the church they start and that means it's us too and we find our joy and we are defined in this that we love one another can't repeat it enough and that doesn't even quite do it justice it's more like there's no church if we don't love one another we're not who we claim or aspire to be if we don't love one another as we saw just the other week from First John, laying down our life doesn't have to mean you literally get up, go out, and die today, but rather that we give when we see that there's a need. Never should a Christian, especially within the confines of their church community, begin an argument with, well, what I want is, if it benefits someone else, even if it's not comfortable, even if I have to give something up. That's the argument. What does someone else lack or need? That sounds pretty vague, but Jesus and John, after him, are speaking in vagaries as well. It's all rather intentional because you know what it is to love. You know the lengths to which you would go for someone that you love. You also know what it means to prioritize oneself over someone else. It doesn't need to be spelled out explicitly at every turn. Instead, we can just keep echoing Jesus as John did in reminding each other. Now, for today, what's specific and explicit in today's readings? Well, hang on, because I want to bring in one more implication. It's one of those things, I dare say most many, Christians bring to the table when we have texts like this, anyhow, what we're supposed to do. And again, it bears repeating that in another place, Jesus is asked, what is the greatest commandment? And he gives them a twofold answer. The first, the greatest, love God with all your heart and mind and soul. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. The context of that discussion there, that teaching, make it clear that a neighbor isn't just your family or the person that lives next door. It's, it includes Samaritans. It includes strangers from enemy states. Today, in 1 John, John unpacks the commandment given in the gospel. In that farewell discourse, Jesus, again, pleads with the disciples. But here, note, he's pleading, do the second commandment. Love each other. But what happened to the first? Why isn't Jesus imploring them to love God above all else? A couple reasons here, maybe. One is that to seek to love God isn't unique to Jesus' teachings. It's distinct. It's vital, of course, to be sure, but it's not unique. Religious traditions the world over, are at least nominally, they're claiming to try to do just that. So the disciples probably don't need imploring at the Last Supper on that. But two, first John unpacks this idea without citing it, that the second commandment is like the first. Love your neighbor is like loving God. John spells it out in this letter. This is what loving God looks like. Want to show your appreciation for creation, for salvation, for sustenance, for all the rest. Want God to see in you and in your life that you really get it, that you really are grateful, that you really are working on it, that you really do love, that all this grace upon grace was poured upon you through no deserving of your own? Love one another. Love your neighbor. Put others before yourself. That's what God does. That's what God calls you to do. That's where God sees it in your life. Now, picking up on this uh, metaphor, this idea of comparing us to p- children and parents, uh, there's this story that I'm going <laughs> to I'm going to reference it but not really tell it. Uh, I've heard it a few different ways. I don't know what the original is. I don't think the theatrics really help that much to they're not all that important to getting the point across. So, let's just jump to the plot points and get to the point. Imagine a parent who's got a few children, and the parent asks the children all at once, go do their chores. One goes willingly. One goes, but only after putting up a fuss, and uh, one refuses to go at all. At the end of the day, that parent loves each of those three children exactly the same. That love does not depend on what those children do. It's a matter of identity and relationship. It doesn't change. It's just who they are. But do you get the sense that perhaps one of those children loves the parent more than the other? The parent loves the children the same, but can we say the same of the children? Do they each love the parent the same? And that's the situation we find ourselves in with God day in and day out. God loves us unconditionally. God sent Jesus to die and rise for us even when we were still sinners. We cannot earn that. We cannot pay it back. But when God looks down across the earth and all God's people in our many and various ways of seeking God, God can see the children don't all love like that. We don't all love unconditionally. And we don't all love God the same. Not the same way, not the same amount. What does it mean to be Christian then? knowing all that. It means that God loves you no matter what, but you're still invited to do good works. It doesn't make God love you any more or any less. It means you love God by loving your neighbor. It means we know that God knows if we really mean it or not. And one of the ways God can tell, God can see our hearts, of course, but God can also see how we live our lives, how we treat this world and how we treat each other. Being Christian means to love God and to love one another are inseparable. You're called to do both. It's what Jesus said to do. It's what Jesus does for us. So even if it's uncomfortable, even if we have to give something up, even if it means I suffer, if it's all so someone else does not, does not lack, does not need, does not suffer, it's exactly what we're called to do, and it's exactly what loving God looks like. Amen. Thanks for listening. I pray God spoke to you in some way. A quick note at the end here, which you can skip if you've heard it before. The audio of my sermons does not always include proper citations. While I do some self-study and lean on my seminary education, I also lean on my colleagues with whom we have a regular text study. I also use Luther Seminary's Working Preacher website and their podcast, Sermon Brainwave. Some credit is due to at least one of those sources. Wherever you are, whenever you hear this, please be well. Take care of yourself and each other, and have a great rest of the week.